You can go ahead and be seated if you would. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer and we'll get into the scriptures. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this wonderful house, all that you've done, all the hard work that goes on to help make all of this happen. Those that will give and sow and help with the children's vacation Bible school. Lord, those that sow and give here faithfully every week just to help with the general funding and, and the building of the house of the Lord. Lord, I thank you that every dream that's here represented in you, that you'll help make it come to fruition. I thank you that people will be raised up, sent out, anointed here, graced here, and empowered here to be overcomers in all that they do. As we open your word of life now, Lord Jesus, open the eyes of our understanding that our hearts might see what is given us in these scriptures and your truths. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. You bring a Bible this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 3. Do we need help already? All right. Get me sorted out. Is that all right? Yeah. It's uh, it's all good. There we go. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. I thought I saw Tommy Cliff running around here. Is Tommy here this morning? Did I? Where are you at? Hey, Tom. Rhonda, everyone's here. Even a little, little guy, huh? <laughs> Amen. Should have been nicer to him when he was shorter, huh? <laughs> Hallelujah. Good to see everybody. Um, I'm going to preach on a, a subject. Um, most of the time when I teach, it's on the ministry of helps. How many are involved in something, doing something in the local church to help build, work, volunteer? Amen. And uh, God bless you. Thank you for that. I want to talk to you this morning about a, a title of my sermon. is called Seizing Spiritual Opportunities. Seizing Spiritual Opportunities. And um, if you don't know me, here's the, here's the short version. Uh, I got born again in 1985. I was raised in the Lutheran church, and uh, I didn't do so good in denominationalism. I don't know about you. It took the power of the Holy Ghost to straighten me out. Amen? When I found out I could, I could speak in tongues and pray in the Holy Ghost, that made my life. Amen? Amen. And um, everybody said everything going wrong in your life was God trying to teach you something. I said, I don't need no more lessons. <laughs> Amen. Everything was breaking. And um, I, I got married in 86 um, to my wife, Janine. We got filled with the Holy Ghost, listening or reading Brother Hagin's book on prayer. And uh, so we were blessed to do that. I found my pastor. I had been over to see a man by the name of Lester Summerall preach at a church by, that Mark Barclay pastored. And um, so I went and I just stayed at that church. Brother Summerall really blessed my life. And uh, he's real straight. If you haven't heard of any of his teaching, um, strap yourself in and put one on. Hallelujah. And uh, he was just a real blessing to my life. And, of course, I was with Pastor in 1987. I, he hired me on staff in 91. And uh, I know, you know, for the kids, this will seem like, how old are these people? <laughs> Listen, I'm so old, our phones, you could have two kinds of phones growing up, black or very black. That was your only two options. They hung on the wall, there was a long cord. Cordless phones weren't even invented yet when I grew up. We just chiseled on the cave wall. Hallelujah. <laughs> you could only just talk. You couldn't take pictures, no calculator, nothing. Just talk to people. Anyways... Uh, yeah, no texting is right. Anyway, short version on all of that. Um, Pastor Barkley hired me on staff in 91. I came off of staff in 2004, started my own ministry, and that's what I do today is travel and preach. Uh, we're just very blessed. I got back from uh, South Africa this past year and was asked to write some Ministry of Helps curriculum for one of the, the you know, ministerial organizations over there. That'll go to 3,000 churches uh, once approved, still has to work its way through, but we just, we're blessed to be able to touch people. Amen? And I'm generally in Uganda, the Philippines, of course, America. I preach everywhere, literally, from New York to California. If you know anybody in Hawaii, I'm volunteering to go. <laughs> Alaska, praying about it. Hawaii, God spoke to me, we're good to go. <laughs> now, I would go to Alaska real quick. Real quick. Amen. But uh, that's, that's the basis of where I'm at. Most of what I preach on is the ministry of helps. I believe that everybody has a part to play in building the local church. 
I believe you won't find the best God has for you until you get busy working and serving in the local church. Amen. Elijah did it for Elijah. Moses did it for his his father in the faith, Jethro. All through the scriptures, we see this same thing repeated over and over again. You need to get busy with your hands, active doing something to really get God's best out of the local house and what you're doing. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's read here in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. Now let me kind of read or bring you up to pace of where this is at. There's basically three people in this story we're going to read about. One is Samuel. He later goes on to become a prophet. There's two other people in the church working. Their names are Hophni and Phinehas. I don't care how much you don't like your name. Thank God your mother didn't name you Hophni and Phinehas. You have no problems. Say, what does that mean if your name is Hophni? That means you're going to get in a lot of fights at school. That's what that means. But the basics of it is this. Samuel's mother is a, name by the lady, is a lady named Hannah. Hannah's barren, not able to have any children. She goes to the house of the Lord where there is a priest. His name was Eli. She cries out to God, and God in his mercy gives her Samuel as a son. She is so overwhelmed with joy. She takes Samuel down to the local church, when he, to the temple, when he becomes seven years old. And she gives him to the Lord, not like she gives him on a Sunday, like baby dedication. She literally gives him to the Lord. She drops him off at church, and that's where he stays. Now, we don't do that today. Don't get your hopes up. I don't, <laughs> I don't want 40 kids left in the children's church after. Say, I, the Lord spoke to me this morning, Reverend. You're on your own. Hallelujah. No. <laughs> I got an amen from the front row. We're doing we're not opening an orphanage today because you all got quote a revelation. But that's, that's Samuel. That's where he's coming from. Eli is a priest. He's not doing very well. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are there, but they're not living right before the Lord. So let's kind of pick it up with this going on. Verse 18, Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year. When she came with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, skip down to verse 22. So that's one side of the equation. Now, Eli, 22, that's the the high priest, was very old. And he heard everything that his sons did to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So these men who are supposed to cause God's people to be more holy are causing them to be less holy. Where they should be leading by example, they are causing people to get into sin. So you kind of got the picture of what's going on? Skip down to chapter 3 and verse 10. Same book, 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. Now the Lord came and called, sorry, uh, verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against, not for Eli, against Eli, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons make themselves vile and he does not restrain them. Skip down, if you would, to verse 19. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Daniel, or sorry, Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord appeared to him again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So we have these three young men, if I can say it that way. We have Samuel, we have Hophni and Phinehas. Samuel comes into this house, this church. He attends, he does everything he's asked to do. He's really kind of grafted in. He is not born into the priesthood. He is placed there by God. Correct? He comes in and he he ministers before the Lord. He honors the Lord. He does what's expected of him and what's asked of him by the priest. And when he does, the Lord blesses him and everything he does works. Hophni and Phinehas are almost the polar opposite. They are born and raised in the church. Their father is the high priest. But they waste this God-given opportunity. They make mockery out of the things of God. And 
they are removed by God from the priesthood. Here's the thing I want you to see. Do they go to the same church or a different church? Do they have the same pastor or a different pastor? Same book of the law or a different book of the law? Same opportunities or different opportunities? One man seizes his God-given opportunity. Two other people waste their God-given opportunity. One man is promoted by God and two people are removed by the same God. I have learned this walking with God if I have learned nothing else. God will give you opportunities. Chances. A vacation Bible school or an opportunity to usher or to vacuum or to do something in the house of God. You can use that opportunity and God's blessing will come upon you and you can do something for Jesus Christ. Or you can waste that opportunity. Let it pass you by. But what you do with it is up to you. Does that make sense? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 13, if you would, please. Kind of keeping that thought in mind. Verse 23. This is one of my all-time favorite verses. Of course, you know, as a preacher, your favorite verse is whichever one you're preaching on. Tomorrow I'll have another favorite verse. Yesterday was a different one. Today, this is it. So follow me around long enough. That's just kind of how I, how I am. It says this. It says, much food is in the follow ground of the poor. And for lack of justice, there is waste. Now, let's take kind of the second half of that first, and then we'll bring this together. Lack of justice doesn't mean like a bribe or a corrupt, corrupt judge. The word justice there, we would probably call judgment or Making good decision, good judgment, depth perception. Make sense? That the Bible says, written by King Solomon, the wealthiest man of his day. For all the prosperity teaching that we hear, I wish they would center more on these verses. He says, for lack of good decisions, there is, there is waste. Or in the margin of my Bible, it says, there is what is swept away, cleared out taken away from you. So let's put the whole verse together. Much food is in the follow ground. What's follow ground, Brother Ray? Follow ground was land that they owned. When they came into the promised land, they were all given a portion of land. They owned it, but if it's follow, that means you're not tilling it. You're not planting anything there. You don't hoe the weeds out. You don't water it. You don't plant carrots or beans or whatever you want to grow, jalapenos, I don't know. But you don't, I like jalapenos, so I stick with jalapenos. But you don't plant anything there, so consequently, you don't harvest anything from there. Make sense? So let's put the whole verse together. Much food is in the follow ground of the poor. But for lack of justice, there is what is swept away. Or, God's saying, the poor man has ground, But he has to use what God has given him to get what he wants. If he wastes it, then he goes without. But he does it to himself. God doesn't do it to him. Make sense? Much food, much of our answers aren't in what we don't own. It's in what we're not using with what we do already own. And, and, (laughs) all right, I'm going to put it on me. Are you ready? I have a... I have a, a shed. It's not a very big shed. It's maybe 10 by 20, 12 by 20, something like that. It's away from my house because I like to bang on things at odd hours of the day. This wakes my wife up and that causes a discussion. So I built it away from my house. Amen. Has electricity. It's a, it's a wonderful little place. But I, I fight a thing called disorganization. I was on my way to Lowe's. You know what Lowe's are? to buy my third crowbar because I can't find my other two crowbars that I've already bought. I know nobody else can relate to this. This is just me because I'm the village idiot. I got it. So I'm on my way to Lowe's to buy my third crowbar because I've looked through my stupid shed and I can't find my other two that I already bought. It dawns on me, Tommy, as I'm going up the road, I know when I get to Lowe's exactly where the crowbars are. (laughs) 
My shed is 10 by 20. Lowe's is a million stinking square feet. And I know where the crowbars are at Lowe's, and I have no idea where they are in my own shed. That's what we're talking about. Much food is in the follow ground. What you already own, it's yours, but you're not using it, so you go without. Why? Because God hasn't provided it? No, because we're not. Brother John nailed it about being good stewards this morning. And, and does this make sense? That You want me to have an altar call, gentlemen? I will drag every last one of you down here. And Cass, don't look at me so smug like you know where everything is, like you've never done this before. And this, this is, in, in a nutshell, that's what the verses are talking about. Much of what we need, what we pray for, God has already given us, pastors already preached on. But we're not doing what we've been taught, so we go without, and then go out and cry out to God, God, where is? But we're not good stewards of what we've already been given. Amen. So we go without. All right, let's get it off of you and me. I can, I can feel the people squirming in their seats. Luke chapter 4. I'll get you out from underneath the micro, microscope. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 4, popular set of verses. Verse 16. Now he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Spirit of the Lord is upon me that names all these great things. Anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set, to, to heal the brokenhearted. You know, if you're brokenhearted, something has happened to you in life. Jesus has come to stitch your heart back together today. Sometimes, you know, I used to not understand people who wanted, quote, inner healing. But I've come to realize that is a part of Jesus' ministry. Things can happen to you in life that really just breaks your heart. And people have a good ability to kind of kick it around after it gets broken. It can make life very hard for you. Thank God that Jesus' ministry is to kind of stitch you back together. Amen. Amen. Let's read on. Proclaim liberty to the captive, recover your sight, set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, then closed the book, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. Eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. He said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All bore him witness and marveled at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then they said, now there's always somebody in the congregation, isn't there? Is this not Joseph's son? What that has to do with anything he's talking about, I don't know. He's just said, God's called me to heal you, put you back together, to to set you free, and to bless your life. And somebody stands up and says, I think I know your dad. (laughs) You're killing me, Smalls. I mean, it has nothing to do with anything we're talking about here. You're wearing me out. This is as spiritual as you get. And and yet, I would have just gone on. Because sometimes, you know, when you preach, people make comments. You just gloss over them. You don't stop for everything everybody says. You just kind of keep moving. Nothing to see here. Just keep going. But Jesus doesn't. He, He not only points it out, he teaches on it for just a minute. Verse 23, you will surely say this to me, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard done in Capernaum, now that's the town where he's moved to 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 live. What we have heard done in Capernaum do here also in our country. Surely I say to you, there is no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows, say many. many. Many widows were there in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zerupta, which is in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Let's read 27, then I'll come back and make some comments. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. But none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now let's kind of put some things together. Jesus says this, they say, we know your father. He says this, he says, isn't it something when Elijah was here, there was a lot of widows. 
Remember the story God sent him to the widow in Zeruptah and she, she took the first cake and the first meal and she made it for him and they fed for the next three years during the famine. Remember that whole story? Every day there was enough. God said this, or Jesus said this, he said, isn't it something that of all the widows that were in Israel, God couldn't send that prophet to one of them because they wouldn't receive and help his ministry. God had to send that prophet far away to a widow in Zeruptha because she would help him. Zeruptha from here would be like sending pastor up to British Columbia, Canada. Way up the coast, far enough away to preserve him for the next three plus years because somebody up there would listen to what he preaches. Was that a toe just got curled up? That's what Jesus was saying. Isn't it something that a woman from far away would listen to the prophet? But not one of the women who were widows in Israel would do what the prophet said. And the same thing happened in in the days of Elisha when he came along. There was many lepers. There wasn't one leper in Israel. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of people dying of leprosy. But not one of them came down the street to Elisha Ministries Incorporated. But a foreigner comes, Naaman from Syria, who's not even supposed to be in Israel. He hears through this young girl that he's captured in a raid that her pastor prays for the sick and her pastor can get him healed. And he leaves all he has, comes all the way down to where that prophet is, and he gets his healing and goes back home. Jesus said, what was up with all the lepers who were in Israel? Much food is in the fallow ground. What we have, but we're not using. But for lack of justice, lack of good judgment, there is what is blown away, what is taken away. It's amazing to me, our church is on a two-lane road, Midland, Michigan, my family is from, my dad was born and raised on a farm back in 21, a half mile up the road from our church. I have told everybody in my family about Jesus Christ. I have invited them to church. They know where I go to church. They call it that church. I've always told pastor we should rename our church that church. <laughs> oh, you go to that church. <laughs> yes, that one. We put a dove out front for a symbol of the Holy Spirit. They call us the bird church. (laughs) The kids go by and throw eggs at the dove. Now they shoot paintball guns at it because that's easier to do from their car. We painted it so many times. It used to be three foot big and now it's about 12 foot because it's all paint (laughs) on the outsides. Here's my point. They will die and go to hell. Not because God hasn't answered their cry, but because they will not take the opportunity to come through the doors of that church, listen to what that man of God has to say, and submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will go to the devil's hell and stay there forever and ever and ever and ever, 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 ever in torment, not because God hasn't made a way, not because God didn't send a preacher, not because there isn't a church, because they won't listen to the people God has sent. They don't seize their God-given opportunity, and so it passes them by. Just like you've invited people to this church. Haven't you invited people to this church? Come here, my church. Come here, my pastor. Come here, Pastor Scott. He's a man of God. He hears from God. You can have Jesus. Your life will be good. You can get off drugs and alcohol and all these things that hinder your life. But you've got to come to the altar and give your life to Jesus Christ, and he will help you, and he'll bless you. And you know what they say? No. I'll be there, and then they don't. But that opportunity passes them by. One day their heart will stop and the judgment will come. And then it will be too late. Not because there wasn't an answer, but because it didn't make use of their answer. Does that make sense to you on a Sunday morning? It's kind of sobering, but it's a good truth, isn't it? Now, let's, 
These thoughts in mind, let's go to Acts chapter 6, because that's where I've been trying to get you this whole time, and you've been slowing me down. Hallelujah. (laughs) Acts Acts chapter 6 is one of the premier ministry of helps verses. Acts chapter 6 is where a lot of us get uh, testimony and truth and and a, a pattern. You know, a blueprint is a pattern. This, this is a pattern of the local church of what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to be. Can you say amen? amen? So they've had a great revival. Acts chapter 2, Peter comes down out of the upper room. 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. They're building this thing and putting it all together. Peter, James, and John, and the others, and Matthew, they've got this church going. Here we have kind of the first problem hitting the local church in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read one through seven, and then same thing, I'll come back and kind of pull some things together. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so the church is growing, there arose a complaint by the Hebrews, by the Hellenists. Now, just pause. The Hebrews are Jewish people who spoke Hebrew, lived in Jerusalem or Israel proper. The Hellenists, or what some Bibles might say Greeks, are also Jewish people who had come back from the Greek area, Amen. Or Greece. And that's where that's this whole group that's come together now for this this church that's growing. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable, it's not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to the word of God and prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what they said was, listen, these widows have to be taken care of, but we can't do it. Somebody has, there has to be a worship in the local church, but the pastor can't be the worship leader and the preacher. There's only one of them. The pastor can't be in the sound booth and before the Lord getting ready to preach. It has to be done, but it can't be done by the person God wants to speak to about the word of God. Does that make sense? So they say, find us seven people of the Holy Ghost who can help do this work because it has to be done. We're going to get in trouble with God if we don't do this. Make sense? Let's read on. Verse 5, in the same, please the whole multitude, there's a miracle. Hey, if you have more than two children and they both agree, that's a miracle. Hallelujah. They pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte, and Antioch. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread. Look at that. When these seven men began to cook food for the widows... The ministry and the power of God picked back up. Of all the people who know how important the helps ministry is, the devil would have to be number one. He knows if he can get us in strife between each other, he can get Brother A not wanting to work with Brother B, Sister A in the nursery not wanting to work there with Sister B. He can slowly over time bring this whole thing to a grinding halt. You don't have to have four flat tires to stop your car. Make sense? Just one. And everything is affected by that one. They laid hands on them, verse 7, and the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, let's just kind of pick it up. This new church is going. Peter, James, and John, they're flowing. They got miracle signs and wonders. I mean, it is red hot, brother. Casting out demons. They got people leaping and shouting and and their lame legs growing out. And I mean, it's wonderful. In the middle of all of that, this group of people are there in the church and they're supposed to be food and clothing and benevolence to whatever degree handed out. And for whatever reason, the Hellenists get ignored. 
Now, I don't know if the first group were, quote, deacons or not that were handing out the food, but I would like to submit to you that when the 12 found out about it, they didn't pray about replacing them. They didn't put it to a vote to replace them. Instantly, they replaced them. Isn't that correct? They found a group of Holy Ghost people, men of good, faith, good reputation, etc. The Bible goes on to describe it. Stephen and the others, and they put them in this place of serving and taking care of the widows. I've done a lot of things in a local church. I've, I've worked in the nursery in the local church. I've shoveled snow, which none of you do, in the local church. I've shoveled a lot of snow in the local church. I've salted the parking lots. I've mowed the lawns. Um, we've repaid the parking lots. I mean, you could probably list your list. I can name my name of things. But I'll tell you what, you don't, when you're on the north end of a southbound baby, you don't feel so spiritual. You don't smell so spiritual either. But it is one of the most spiritual things you can do because the mothers and fathers are in the local building being touched by the word of God that comes out of the pastor's heart. Amen. So it becomes a very spiritual thing to do. Of all the things I've done, food preparation has to be my least favorite. Because it never ends. I don't care what you feed them today, tomorrow. You got to do it all over again. Now, my heart really goes out to Stefan because there's no freezers, there's no refrigerators, there's no plastic bags. There's no air conditioning. Have you ever cooked... Have you ever cooked over a wood fire when it is 90 wonderful degrees outside? You can imagine what it is like for this man when they, when pastor stood up and said, we need some people who will take care of the widows. And Stephen said, okay, I'll help. And from that place, him and Philip and the others began to work and it freed the apostles up and the ministry began to grow again. And the church began to take off. Because of this group of seven men who would go in and just simply humbly help with their hands to do the work of the ministry. Just like you and I do. Isn't that wonderful? Here's the part I had never seen. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. I was reading that not too long ago and the Lord began to speak to me. He said, son, Stephen... His group, the first group who was handing out the the food and the benevolence, he said, uh, Stephen, who was his pastor? I said, well, it would have been Peter and James and John, and that was his leadership. "Uh Uh-huh. What was his church? I said, well, whatever that local church was. He said, in the first group of people, where did they go to church? I said, the same church. He said, and what widows did they help? I said, it would be the same widows. So in the same church with the same widows, hearing the same sermons and the same offerings being taken, the same worship songs being sung, the same opportunity, one group is replaced by God and one man is promoted by the same God. Goes on to miracle signs and wonders. Do they go to the same church or a different church? Same widows or different widows? I know. Peter liked the second group more, so he preached better sermons to them, and he preached his beginning terrible sermons to the first group. In the same church, one group seizes their God-given opportunity and finds their ministry. Another group wastes their God-given opportunity and are removed from their ministry. In the same church, hearing the same pastor with the same sermons. So I gather from these verses, how far you go in God isn't up to your pastor. Come on. It would then be up to me and you of what we do with what he teaches us. Much much food is in the follow ground of the poor. What we have, but we're not using. What pastor's teaching us, but we're not doing. What we have these God-given opportunities. You can seize them or you can waste them. It's up to you. We can listen and go out and be what the Bible calls a doer of the word of God. Or you can go out from here and not do anything that you're taught. <laughs> Don't get so... I'm having a good time. Smile. Amen. It, it might be my only time here. Praise God. <laughs> you're all good talking about my crowbar, but now all of a sudden we're all getting quiet. Listen... <laughs> Listen, 
What good does it do you to go fishing if you never bring the fish home and clean them? What, what good does it do you to go through all the effort of getting up early, putting all the clothes on? You know, we have people who hunt in Michigan. They love to hunt. They have special clothes for hunting, special guns for whatever they're hunting. They have scent lock clothes, so what their scent doesn't get out and scare the animals away, which I wish they would make suits out of scent lock clothing sometimes. <laughs> but they'll get up, go through all that effort, and then when they get... It, what good would it do to spend all those hundreds and some of them thousands of dollars to go through all that effort and then get home and never cook the meat and eat it? Yeah. I don't know. What good does it do to find a local church and not, never go there? What, what good does it do? Amen. What good does it do to find a local church? Hey, that's my pastor. And then not ever listen to him and take any notes. But then why take the notes if you're just going to take them home, throw them in a drawer and never do any of it? I know that doesn't apply to anybody here. You stretch your imagination. Brother Ray, who are you talking about? <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell it to you another way. In, in Michigan, we had an elder in our church. His name was Bill Lippard. You won't know Bill Lippard. I, I will. Bill Lippard was about five foot seven with a pot belly. He had a bald head, hair around the sides, and he grew a mustache, I guess, to make up for the top of the head. <laughs> Tommy, you're going to have to help me over here and tell you what. <laughs> Bill Lippard was about five foot seven with a pot belly, and if you laid him down, he was still about five foot seven. <laughs> he was one of my favorite people in the church. Bill Lippard got my dad born again. Bill, but that's not the Bill Lippard I met. My father left the farm, World War II, became an airplane mechanic, settled in Detroit, couldn't stand the city, bought the farm for my grandparents when I was about five years old, not like died, bought the farm, like literally used money, bought the farm. (laughs) Got to make sure we're all on the same page here, right? So, my dad spent weekdays in the city, and then he'd pack us all up on Friday evenings. We'd drive two, two and a half hours up to Midland, and we would work there the weekend and then go back, because his idea of, of a vegetable garden was two acres. <laughs> Every day was good working weather. Just if it was raining, good day to work inside. If it wasn't, it was a good day to work outside. If it was hot, good day to work early, and a good day to work late, but it was always good working weather. Never meet one of these. He was what we call a workaholic. And dad would take us up there to Midland. The family farm is there on Stark Road. They had cleared a bunch of acreages over the, over the years. It was my, my dad's, my grandfather's, his grandfather's when they immigrated in from Germany. And all of that went on. They cleared, and they left about 40 acres that is just woods. And then behind that 40 acres, the state-owned property... You went down through that low area and came up the other side. There was a road that went back in there called Dublin Road. It was a dirt road. So we always called it Muddy Dublin for obvious reasons. At the end of Muddy Dublin, there was a family that lived there named the Lippards. Bill Lippard and Meg were both alcoholics. They had five boys, no girls. They were what we call rednecks. I don't know if you have rednecks, (laughs) but I think you might know what I'm talking about. Let me just back the truck up to say long enough, I'm not, and I would never put anyone down. You have to hear my heart. If I don't talk to you about kind of where they're from, you're not going to appreciate where they ended up. Okay? I know the South thinks you own the copyrights on rednecks. (laughs) Just let me read a couple things into the record, and you can tell me if they qualify. Five boys, five, no girls, mom and dad would be down at the bar. It was called the Tizit Bar. They'd be down there all afternoon spending what money they did have on alcohol. Five boys would get bored and they would have horse races with the horse that they had basically rescued from the glue factory. When they raised the horse, they would take it up the front steps, through the kitchen, past the living room, down the porch steps in the back and around the side, and that was one lap. And they would time each other to see who could do the fastest five laps. Now, when I talk rednecks, are we starting to get a picture of what I'm talking about? (laughs) They were such 
backwoods rednecks. Now, I knew this because our family farm sat on Stark Road. You have the, the city forest behind us, then Dublin Road. I can't tell you how many times, you know, deer season in Michigan is fairly regulated. It's only for two weeks in the fall of the year. It's from sunup till sundown. You can only hit, you know, get so many deer. They have to have certain size antlers unless you have other permits. And that applies to everybody but the Lippards. <laughs> the Lippards seem to have special privileges. They could hunt 12 months of the year at night <laughs> on your property. I can't tell you how many times, as God is my witness, we would be sitting there having dinner after a long day of hoeing in the garden, ready to go to bed, and there would be lights going through the hay field on the back 40. My uncle would come over with his pickup truck. My dad would hop in the side, what we call shotgun. My brother and I would get in the back, and we would chase these people on four-wheelers out of the family fields. I, I jumped out of the back of the pickup truck once. I don't know how fast we were going and tried to land on him into, on his four-wheeler and pull him off in the back of the hay field just to bless him real good. <laughs> Lay hands on him suddenly, repeatedly. That's the Bill Lippard I knew. They... They were so, as God is my witness, you're getting a picture for who I'm talking about. I don't know if you know anybody like this. I know countless people like this. Bill Lippard, they would leave the boys. You know, nowadays they have these paintball guns they shoot each other with. They kind of like play army. Shoot. We didn't have that growing up. We used to take BB guns and shoot each other. Of course, you know, in the North, you could wear jackets or whatever, but the rule was you weren't supposed to shoot above the shoulders, which either my brother was a really bad shot (laughs) or just that love between brothers. He tagged me in the back of the head more than twice. Anyways, the Lippards were even more advanced in their redneckedness in that they would get bored doing that, and so they would take hot dogs. they take a shotgun shell, cut out the front, let all the BBs drain out, put it in their gun, put a hot dog in the front of their gun, and shoot each other with hot dogs in their house while mom and dad were down at the bar. Now, when I say redneck, does that qualify as a Texas redneck to you, or am I too much of a city slicker here? The youngest brother got tired of always losing at hot dog shooting contests. He would take his hot dog, he froze his, pulled it out of the freezer, shot his oldest brother in the thigh. If I'm lying, I'm dying. He shot him in the thigh, and he is hobbling his way through the house with a hot dog stuck out of his thigh. Now, that's the Bill Lippard I knew. I'm talking... I am not talking your garden variety redneck. I'm talking an authentic, actual, south or north, these people qualify. Now, time goes on. I I leave the farm. I go on to college. I give my life to the Lord. Jesus Christ becomes my Lord and Savior. I'm hunting for a church. I walk into Living Word Church where a man by the name of Mark Barclay pastors and sitting on the front row as one of the elders of the church is Bill Lippard. Now I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. I, I, I know this. I don't know everybody in the church, but I know this guy. There's Bill Lippard. Bill, because of who he was, he never say Brother Ray. He always said Brother, B-R-U-D-D-E-R. He looked at me, he said, now, Brother? I'm looking at him. I said, Bill, is that you? Let me explain. Bill had gone down to northern Ohio. A friend of his had invited him. He went down there and he began to listen to a man preach. He filled out a little card to give his life to the Lord. He said, I'm going to give my life to the Lord, Meg. I'm tired of the way we've been living. He said, I'm going to go down and put it in that bucket. That's the way they did it at that church. And he said, he said, now, he said, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to put that in the bucket, he said, but I'm not letting that fat old preacher push me over like them other people. <laughs> Bill got about 15 feet from the altar. The power of God hit him and he fell over. Never even got to put his envelope in the bucket. He came up praying in tongues. Wow. He didn't even know anything about praying in tongues. Tried to sit in his seat and explain to Meg what happened. What? Are you drunk? Galamba. <laughs> 
Next night, May got filled with the Holy Ghost. They went back home and they began to pour their alcohol down the sink. The first time in their life, those five boys saw mom and dad sober. The boys began to cry, couldn't figure out what was wrong with mom and dad. I'm talking an authentic, actual, God-ordained deliverance. These two people got turned around like that by the power of God. They wandered their way down Let's Road and to Stark Road, where a man passed by the name of Mark Barclay. They began to come there and get busy. And if I ever saw a man seize his God-given opportunity, it was Bill Lippard. Bill Uppard became a praying machine. He would pray for the sick morning, noon, or night. But from Midland, where we are, down to Ann Arbor, there be, there's a better hospital down in Ann Arbor because we're too far removed. Bill, a lot of times, if some of the church family would get hurt, he would get to the hospital just shortly, sometimes before the ambulance, and pray for people in the hospital. He just loved to pray for the sick, the hurting, the dying. He didn't care. He'd pray for anything that was, was still alive and half of what was dead. I mean, that was, you know what I'm talking about? He loved to do it. He would go to Midland, and sometimes if they say, I'm sorry, there'd be a medevac down to the Ann Arbor Hospital, Bill would sometimes beat the helicopter into Ann Arbor and be waiting there to pray for the sick. How fast did he drive? I don't know. (laughs) He just knew Jesus had done a work in his life, and he would do anything, anything to help somebody have what he had. And he'd be there. I've seen him drive to Lansing, Michigan, Um, Jackson, Michigan. Once he drove from Michigan down to Tennessee to pray for somebody who knew somebody who used to go to our church. Never judged him, never said it's their own fault. He just said, I love you. God loves you. Come here. Let me pray for you. God has something better for you in your life than this. Bill became such a right hand man. Then, But when our pastor would go on the road and he would be out preaching, his daughter Dawn grew up and people would want to ask her out and court her. Pastor couldn't be there. He would send Bill Lippard as a chaperone. (laughs) to sit in the back seat. (laughs) You touch her, I'll bury you by the deer bones. (laughs) Nobody will ever find you. Bill Lippard got asked to do a funeral for his family. Nobody in his family was born again. Just rednecks. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody went to church. I don't mean one or two. I mean nobody in their whole family went. Well, they didn't, somebody died and they had to do a funeral, but nobody went to church, so they didn't have anybody to officiate the funeral. So they said to Bill, they said, would you, Uncle Bill, would you do the, the funeral with this stuff you know now, this new religion? Well, pastor had to give him a credential ordination in order to make it legal, kind of on a temporary basis. Bill stood up and began to try to do the funeral, and he stood there and he looked at him and folded the notes and he began to tell a story of what happened to him and his wife, Meg. At the end, he gave an altar call. And in the backwoods of Midland, Michigan, on the end of a dusty little road, 105 people, for the first time in their life, raised their hand and gave their life to Jesus Christ. Because the town drunk decided to seize his God-given opportunity in the house of God. No, no pamphlets, no flyers, no partners program, no website. It's the Holy Ghost in two knees. And he touched his whole generation, his entire family on one service. 105 people for the first time in their life heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and responded and said, well, Bill, if that's what's changed you and Meg, we want that. I don't think there was 12 teeth in the whole room. (laughs) You couldn't have sold a toothbrush to save your life. But they were precious people. People Jesus died for. Blood spilt for people who were ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was out in California doing a Holy Spirit conference. Pastor Hale working for Dr. Barclay. My dad, the Lord had spoken to me about my dad. He wasn't right with God. I had preached, preached, preached. I couldn't get, any, get, get him to listen to me. I was out in California, and I got a call from my mom. Your father's had a heart attack. He's in the hospital. He's stable, but obviously it's severe. I began to pray. I said, Lord, what do I do? I've witnessed. I've talked. I've preached. I'm sure he's not right. He's been born in religion, but he's, he's not born again. 
And um, I don't have an unction to go home. I don't know what to do. I talked to pastor. Pastor said, if you want to go home, you know, I'll pay for you to get home. So no, I just let me keep praying. I don't know quite what to do just yet. The next day I call home to check my voicemail messages at the office. You know, I have a machine on my desk where people can leave me messages from the from the church family. And I call in and I use the code and I listen to my voicemail messages. And there's this message. Brother Ray, (laughs) this is Bill Lippard. Like, I don't know who this is. (laughs) Nobody speaks like that. Brother, he said, I just want you to know your father, F-A-D-D-E-R, your father received Jesus as his Lord and Savior this morning. Now, brother, you just stay out there in California and help, Pastor. I got your back here. Everything's going to be fine. Bill Lippard did in a minute what I hadn't been able to do in the last 10 years. He walked in that hospital room. He did not say, remember me, I'm the town drunk. Remember me, I used to poach your property. Remember who I am. He walked in and said, sir, if you never leave this hospital room, if you never live another day, if this is it for you, will you go to hell or will you go to heaven? Which one do you want to do? I can help you with that. And in one minute, my father got right with God and left the realm of darkness with the glory of God. Amen. Because the town drunk decided he was no more what people saw. He would come into the church and do what his pastor told him to do. When his pastor told him he could lay hands on the sick, bless God, he did. When his pastor called him at midnight to go help brother so-and-so, bless God, he did. When pastor asked him to do this or that in the local church, he was faithful at all that God put in his hands. And he began to preach, pray. He became the greatest soul-winning machine I ever saw in my life. No marketing campaign. No flyer. No fancy theology. No Greek-Hebrew classes. You know, my favorite sermon was preached by a 12-year-old girl. Her father had been an alcoholic. They were, he had got right with God, quit drinking. They went down to the grocery store and ran into a bunch of his old drinking partners. He said, come on, you know, to the bar with us. Come on, let's go get drunk. Come on. He said, no, I don't do that anymore. So you got religion. He said, no, I found Jesus and began to testify. And uh, they went shopping and The little girl had run back to get something off of one of the other shelves. And when she came around the corner, that was their whole group of guys that her dad used to drink with. And they looked at her and said, little girl, did Jesus turn water into wine in your house? You know, alcoholics just being mean and coarse and nasty. Did Jesus turn water into wine in your house? And she looked at him and she said, no, sir. Jesus turned wine into furniture. So my dad used to just drink his whole paycheck. We didn't have anything in our house. But since my daddy found Jesus, we have furniture in our house. Jesus turned wine into food. Jesus turned wine into peace. Mom and dad don't fight anymore. (laughs) My house is full of peace. The reason I work in the ministry of helps and the reason I try to help my pastor and invite people to church isn't to grow the church, it's to help the people that need to come through the doors of this church. There's another Ray Bench out there. There's another person just like you out there who needs to hear what you have heard. And if we will seize our God-given opportunity, if we will make use out of what God has given us, if we will take what pastor teaches us and go out with it, we can change our world for the glory of God. Amen. Or we can come and go like it doesn't matter. We can pay attention or not pay attention. And... And not seize our God-given opportunity. Do you understand? Stephen found his life in ministry where other people said there wasn't any. I found my life inside of the church our whole city mocks and makes fun of. We're called that church. I found my life there. I found my ministry there. I found the power of God there. I found what changes the human soul there. I found what drives demons out and brings peace there. All where they said there was none, I found the river of living water that filled my soul and changed my life. Clap real good if you're going to clap. Hallelujah. Close your eyes. Say this with me now. Say, Lord Jesus, it's my turn. It's my day to seize my God-given opportunity. To be like Stephen, 
to find my place in the house of the Almighty God. And to come here and to be busy here and to find you here and to have you do for me what you did for Stephen. To have you do for me what you did for Philip. To have you do for me what you did for Peter. To have you do for me what you did for Paul. To make me a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I might serve you the days of my life. And live in your house forever. Can you give the Lord a good hand clap everybody? Thank you for your time. God bless you pastor. Thank you for having me in. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Ray. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. God bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Grabbing our God-given opportunities. Hallelujah. The Bible says that every man has received a gift from the Lord, a gift from God. Every man has. And then Jesus is so good, he comes and he touches our lives with, we call it anointing, power in order to do that. If we'll do like uh, Brother Ray was saying this morning, take that step forward. Amen. Praise the Lord. Powerful word of encouragement and teaching to us this morning. Amen. We're going to receive a love gift, a love offering for our brother this morning. So um, if you uh, desire uh, uh, an envelope, a place for us to make, a way for us to make a record, if you'll just lift your hand, then the ushers will serve you now. Uh, if you're making checks, uh, we encourage you to just make them to G Church. I promise you, every all of this offering, all of this offering goes to our guests today. Uh, so if you make the check to uh, G Church, it will go to him. We'll make it all into one gift for him. Um, I'm not sure if they wanted to make it to you directly. They would make it to Many Waters. Make your check to Many Waters. Praise the Lord. But uh, listen, were you were, were you fed today? I, I'm just asking. I'm just curious. Were you? Hey, listen. Did you did you get something? Yeah, I'm telling you what. Praise the Lord. And and the Bible shares with us. Well, I'm just going to read that scripture. That's a powerful scripture. I was thinking of in Galatians this morning. As as you're preparing your offering, praise the Lord. Well, where do I start? My goodness. Oh, wow. Let me start. Galatians 6, 6 says, Let him that is taught in the word. Everybody say, that's me. Let him that is taught in the word communicate. King James says, the word is give. Uh, Unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let him give to him. Or who is taught in the word, let him give or reciprocate. Amen. To him that teaches in all good things, all other sure are good things, are uh, things of value, things of, of worth, things uh, of, 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 of pleasure and blessings, the things that we need, let us share. Particularly and specifically, other translations say, you know, it deals with our resources, our money, and so forth. And uh, that, that concept is perpetuated over and over, spoken of over and over in the, the scriptures, that as we receive something that is spiritual, we respond with the things that we have naturally. Amen? And that's what we're doing right now. So I just encourage you, as I, I, I dare say there's not a person in here who's not received something spiritual. I have been, I've been taught the word. Those, those passages in scriptures have come alive inside me. Amen? And now it's only natural that I reciprocate, amen, and that we share of our good things with the one that God sends to teach us. Amen. That's a word thing. That's a God thing. That's a kingdom of God principle, amen? amen? Praise the Lord. So as you're preparing your offerings, you know, I'm just giving you a second here. Praise the Lord. Uh, if you're wanting to give by credit card, there's a place on those offering envelopes that you can do that also. Um, I think cash is still received in America, isn't it? It's still there? You guys? Yeah, ever there? Praise the Lord. All right. Are you ready? You want to be a blessing? Okay. Praise the Lord. That's just if you'd wait on the people, please. I'm going to ask our uh, prayer leaders if they would go ahead once they've given uh, and bought themselves in their offering. 
If the prayer leaders would like to go ahead and take your places around the front. Uh, these people are going to be here available for you after we dismiss and they will minister to you in any way you know if you need anything you just need God to, uh, just to talk to you you need somebody to pray with you and agree with you to, to pray with you about anything then uh, they're going to minister to you praise the Lord but I know there'll be several of our prayer leaders um, that'll be across the front here praise the Lord brother Ray thank you so much for coming amen praise the Lord Hallelujah. I, I loved it. Amen. I, I see now 